a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It is a real privilege to be here because Graham said the, um, the, the, the leaders in the city, uh, the churches in this city do look to um, support one another. And that's because we genuinely want to see uh, not just the churches grow, but first and foremost, um, we want to see the kingdom of God come on this earth as it is in heaven. And really, in, in essence, that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. Um, I am a fan of this church. I'm not just saying that. That's official. If you go on Facebook, you'll find my picture on your fan page. I'm a big fan of this church. By the way, Jules, there's a few other faces around here I recognize. Jules used to be my PA, didn't you, Jules? Actually, that's, that's not strictly true. Jules used to work, uh, while she was working for New Day, she used to work in our offices, and her desk was right outside my front, the door of my office. And so we had a little running joke that she was my PA but she never ever did anything for me. Uh, although she did make a good cup of coffee, to be fair. So we've missed you, we've missed you Jules. <coughs> um, what was I saying? Yes, uh, I'm a fan of this church, and I want to see this church grow and grow and grow. I really do. Um, and I believe it will. I was encouraging Graham, about, Graham to, to bring you here because I believed, and I still do, that God wants to grow this church. Uh, and not just so that you can fill this room and have good uh, knees up on a Sunday morning, but so that this church can become a true place um, and a true group of people that impacts this city in a powerful way and sees it transformed. I believe that that's going to happen and that you're going to be part of a group of numerous churches that impact this city and stand up for Jesus and see the kingdom come in this place. And I want to suggest to you today um, that, that, that there's lots about Jesus and the way he lived his life um, that we can learn from to help us be a people that see the kingdom of God come. And I want to speak to you this morning particularly about Jesus uh, as a prophet in the Bible, okay? Jesus the prophet, and also then us as a prophetic people. Now, before we go any further, I just want to be clear. As I unravel this a little bit, um, what I mean by a Jesus the prophet might be a little bit different to what you immediately think of uh, when we talk about a prophet. So um, I'm not talking about Jesus simply being someone who offers a word here or a word here to you um, about your future or something like that. Jesus actually did do that. He spoke to the thief on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, but actually, Jesus' life and example as a prophet was about so much more than that. I just want to unwrap some of that and see how it comes to affect us as well today. So I, I, I don't have a clicky thing, so I assume I'm completely in your hands. That's cool by me, though. Uh, so if we just move on a little bit. Um, first of all, the first thing I want to say is that Jesus was absolutely accepted as a prophet. There was no question that he was a prophet. He, was, uh, he saw himself as a prophet, first of all. In Matthew 13, 57, uh, Jesus says that only in his hometown... Uh, is a prophet without honor. So there's no, no question that Jesus understood himself to be a prophet. Uh, his disciples also saw him as a prophet. When he was questioning them, and particularly Peter, uh, he was uh, asking um, who people saw him as. And they listed various prophets that people saw him as, um, uh, implying that they didn't have any disagreement with that, and then went on to say, but we think you're the Christ. And finally, the people at large saw Jesus as a prophet as well. Uh, during the triumphal entry, <coughs> the Pharisees heard parables that Jesus was telling. And they were made angry and they wanted to arrest him. But it says that they restrained from arresting him because they didn't want to upset the crowd who they were afraid of. Because the people held him 
as a prophet. So the role that Jesus held as a prophet uh, is not questioned in Scripture. It's absolutely solid. Um, But I want to suggest that that rather than simply being someone who gave prophetic words all the time, Jesus was a man who lived a prophetic lifestyle. And everything that he did and everything that he taught pointed to one thing, and that was the kingdom of God of God, the coming kingdom. Now, I don't know whether we fully grasp what the kingdom is, but it's probably my favorite topic. There is nothing more exciting than the kingdom of God, because when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule and reign of God on earth. We're talking about heaven breaking through into earth. All that we believe and know (coughs) that will come to be uh, in the future, coming into the present, a time where there's no pain, no suffering, uh, where there's, there's no illness or sickness. We're talking about a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful thing, heaven coming to earth. And Jesus was pointing to that all the time through his ministry. His whole ministry was about the kingdom of God. And as a prophet, everything he did pointed towards the kingdom of God. So Jesus had this prophetic message about the kingdom of God, but actually... Um, the majority of his message was misunderstood by the people of his time. The people who he walked with, the people who he was around, they didn't actually grasp his message. And just to help us with this a little bit, um, I want to pick out a few things from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 27. It's up there. It doesn't quite fit. That's okay. You've probably got a Bible with you as well. (coughs) I'll just read this through. It says, Now, the same day, this is, by the way, is the, the, the um, story about the disciples on the road to Emmaus at the end of Luke, after Jesus has died, gone to the tomb, and risen again. It says this, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. <coughs> they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They asked them, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you, do, do you not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. We'll come back to that. A prophet, powerful or mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We'll come back to that as well. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. (coughs) They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Pick a few things out of this, but first of all, verse 19, it says, Jesus was a prophet, mighty or powerful in word and in deed. Now, a prophet was someone who was uh, accepted as being and recognized as being God's spokesperson to the people. 
anointed to hear God on behalf of the people, to bring warnings about current situations or circumstances, about potential choices, or about things that may be coming in future. So a prophet was always someone who used the word. But actually, many of the prophets in the Old Testament, they used deeds as well. And there's a story in Ezekiel 37. Uh, it's a prophetic parable um, <coughs> where the prophet takes two sticks and he unites them together. And what he's trying to say is that the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, they're going to come back together. And he actually prophesies something about Jesus coming in future and that rejoining of that people uh, being something that will happen through Jesus. But he uses a, pro- a, a, a symbolic action, a deed, if you like, to prophesy that. So prophets were well known for having both words and deeds through which they worked. But the, the, this scripture says Jesus wasn't just a, a prophet who used words and deeds. He was powerful in word Indeed, and we'll come on to look at some of that power as we go along. Another thing to pick out from this passage uh, is that the, these disciples who were walking along the road, downcast, uh, they're talking about how they'd hoped that Jesus was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was the one that was going to redeem Israel, but they were downcast because they'd come to a point where they thought that he just wasn't the guy. He wasn't the guy to do it. And it was just a spectacular case of missing the point. Now, someone told me uh, recently a story about, um, about how he was um, going to the gym with his daughters. This uh, story made my ears prick up because I thought this might be a scenario that I have to face in future. Um, he w- went to the gym with his daughters, um, and his daughters were really into this thing called the sun shower. They like to get a tan. And so these daughters said to him, Dad, Dad, you really need to experience the sun shower. It's going to change your life. The sun shower is really, it's what you need, Dad. He didn't really want to do it, but reluctantly knew he wasn't going to get out of it with his daughters that easily without just going along with it. So he decided to humor them. Uh, so he went along to this sun shower. Um, he got in, this, he sort of climbed inside this machine, opened the door, walked in, read the instructions closely on the wall. And his daughters had said to him, what you need, Dad, is just three minutes and you'll be sold. Three minutes. So he goes in, reads the instructions really carefully, puts on these glasses, puts his money in the slot, pays for three minutes, and he stands there. Nothing. He's thinking, oh no, what am I going to say? What am I going to say to them? How am I going to get out of this one? How am I, rescue me, please. Someone redeem me from this situation. The three minutes pass, absolutely nothing. It's just not doing it for him at all. So he comes out and his daughter's, oh, dad, was it good? Did you see the light? He says, I'm really sorry. Maybe I'm just a bit old for this thing. I don't know. But it, maybe this just isn't for me. But it didn't work. It didn't really do it for me. And they said, oh, d- don't worry, Dad. We'll have a go next week. So sure enough, they go to the gym again the next week. And they say, Dad, Dad, you've got to try the sun shower again. This time, maybe what you need is six minutes. So he goes through the same old routine. He just wants to get it over with. And he's really hoping he's going to have something positive to say so he doesn't have to go through this thing again. And... Uh, Puts his money in the slot, reads the instructions carefully, puts the glasses on, stands there. Again, it's just, it's just not happening for him. He doesn't, doesn't get it at all. And he's thinking, what is all this about? Oh, shaking his head. After the six minutes are up, he comes out again and his daughters are there waiting for him. And they could see, you can see disappointment on their faces. As they, they read his face and can see that it just hasn't happened for him again. So they say, don't worry, Dad, we'll fix this next week. So sure enough, the, the, the next week comes along and they say... You will be absolutely blown away by nine minutes, Dad. This is it. Nine minutes, and this is it. This is going to do it for you. He 
goes in, he reads the instructions again, puts the glasses on again, and he's puts his money in the slot, and he's off, up and running. Still, nothing's After a few minutes, he gets a bit bored, so he sort of starts to open one eye, and he looks down, and he notices there's a handle on the wall. So he, he decides to open this door, and suddenly the room fills with light, and he realizes that for the last three weeks, he's been stood in the changing room. I think this is a wonderful picture of uh, the people of God um, as they would have seen themselves in Israel. A people who were expecting something and so focused on one thing that they missed the other thing that was happening. You see, the people of Israel were a people who were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a Redeemer. But he hadn't come in the form that they were expecting. They were a people who were oppressed by a foreign empire. Not for the first time in their lives, this time, or in their history, this time by the Roman Empire. They were scattered all over the place, beyond their land. They were in disunity. And they believed a warrior king was going to come along and most likely violently take their land back for them to give them the day they'd longed for, where they would no longer be oppressed, no longer exiled, and they could take up their rightful place as the people of God, as their own nation. That was what it was all about for them. You see, they'd misread prophecy of old, which had pointed towards Jesus coming. They'd misread everything that was said about Jesus. And they'd seen this, this Messiah as being someone who would come uh, and would war against Flesh and blood rather than principalities and powers as Jesus came to do. And so suddenly they are there as a people stood in their speedos waiting for Jesus to do something and he's doing something else and they miss it. And these guys are walking along this path on the road to Emmaus thinking this, this isn't the Messiah. There's been plenty of previous potential Messiahs and Jesus was suddenly in their eyes a, a great hope but just another one who wasn't quite going to be the man to give them their identity back. N.T. Wright puts it like this. Anyone who was heard talking about the reign of Israel's God would be assumed to be referring to the fulfillment fulfillment of Israel's long-held hope. (coughs) The covenant God would act to reconstitute his people, to end their exile, to forgive their sins. When that happened, Israel would no longer be dominated by the pagans. She would be free. The means of that liberation were no doubt open to debate, but the goal was not. They missed the point. So Jesus suddenly, it says in verse 27, has to go through all of the scriptures, starting with Moses, all of the prophets, and explain himself to these people so that they can see with fresh eyes what he was all about. And suddenly, they can get it. They can see it. He didn't come to redeem them as a people, but to transform them into the kingdom of God. Suddenly, it becomes clear to them that this is all about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven coming on earth. And it's in that context that Jesus was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Just to want to look very quickly at a few things uh, that Jesus did, a few examples of his ministry, where he was both prophetic in word and in deed. So starting with word. Starting with word. Parables. Jesus taught a lot in parables, didn't he? And we're all familiar with them, I'm sure. And during the course of telling his parables, he was often showing people what the kingdom of God looked like. So he would say to them things like, the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. It's like a treasure in a field. It's worth selling all your possessions for. It's worth giving everything you've got up 
for this field so you can pour your life into it. Why? He was making a prophetic statement because that is what heaven is like. That is what heaven is like. And you pouring your life into it will draw it down so that you can be surrounded by heaven. He said it's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It will grow and grow and grow and become the biggest kingdom. It's an unstoppable force. There may be a kingdom of darkness or of the enemy that, that's ruling this world at this time. But, that, but this kingdom is like a mustard seed and it will grow and grow and grow and it will, it will end, eventually oust all other kingdoms to the point where it becomes the only kingdom. It's a prophetic statement about things to come. This is what his ministry was like. But there was a warning in his parables. Whilst I'm sowing God's seeds, whilst I'm sowing good seeds, there's an enemy who's sowing bad seeds, sowing bad things. It'll be a warning to you. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be challenges. You have an enemy. It's parables. Then there's his teachings. And the centerpiece of much of Jesus' teaching was this. The kingdom of God is near. Or it's here. Or it's within you. The kingdom of God, heaven, is available on earth today. So this is how you usher it in. And we look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And and actually much of what he's teaching there, when we start to get a kingdom perspective and think about things in the context of a kingdom of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, we can see these things in a fresh way. So the kingdom is near and this is how you usher it in. Turn the other cheek. When somebody strikes you, turn the other cheek. Why? Because that's love. That is that is going to challenge that person. That is something that you will see in heaven. Uh, how about this one? When someone asks you to carry their coat a mile, carry it for two miles. They won't expect that, will they? But that's love. That's ushering the kingdom down. That is an act from heaven on earth. And when heaven meets earth, things happen. Things start to change. It's very simple, isn't it? Just love people. And when you're doing these things, remember these things. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What, you want me to show mercy to those Romans, those oppressors? Yes, because when you show them mercy, you're showing them something of heaven. You're showing them something different. And when heaven comes to earth, things start to change. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers? You want me to be a peacemaker? Here we are waiting for a warrior king to wipe out our oppressors and return our land. And you want me to be a peacemaker? That's right, says Jesus. Because peacemakers bring something of heaven down. Represent Jesus. Represent the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God comes down, things change. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them. Not blessed are those who are persecuted because of their Jewishness, because theirs is the kingdom of Israel. But blessed are those who are persecuted because of a righteous life, because they will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, it's a challenge, especially when you've got this mindset that you are badly done to. You are people who are just waiting for God to redeem you from something to have to think in a different way like this, it's a challenge. And it remains a challenge for us as well, doesn't it? To live in a different way. But when our lives are different, empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit, and people see that, 
We might think it doesn't make a difference, but it challenges all the time, and that's how things change. Jesus' teaching and parables were all about the kingdom. He was mighty in words, but he was also mighty in deeds. For example, let's look at healing. <coughs> when Jesus performed a healing, two things were happening. First, and, and they were both prophetic demonstrations of something. So first of all, uh, you know, the person who was healed was receiving a dramatic transformation. It wasn't just a physical transformation. In the culture of the time, someone who was, uh, for example, the woman with the issue of blood or a leper or... Um, a blind man, they would all be seen as having some, some kind of uncleanness within them, which would mean they would be sent outside the camp. They wouldn't be welcome within the camp, but they would have to be outside the camp, at least for a season. Jesus comes along, he heals them, and brings restoration to them in their own different ways. But he doesn't just do that. He makes a prophetic statement that you don't belong outside the camp, you belong inside. You don't belong out there. There's a new place for you. It's in, and it's in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God isn't just for the elite. But also, when Jesus healed people, he also showed a, the, a new order of things in the kingdom. So traditionally, again, uh, in, under the law, when Jesus, when anybody would touch a dead man or an unclean person, they would themselves, the, 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 the uncleanness would be transferred from the body to them or the leper to them or the unclean person to them. They would become unclean and they would then have to spend some time outside of the camp. They'd be ostracized. But with Jesus, when he healed people, the power goes the other way. So rather than the leper transferring uncleanness to Jesus, Jesus transferred healing to the leper and rather than, the, than him then having to go out, they get to come in. There's a transfer of power. Power flows the other way. With Jesus, his prophetic message about the kingdom was that power transfers from heaven to earth and it's available to, to us today. It's a prophetic statement. Miracles. Jesus' demonstration of power uh, over the elements, whether it was calming storms or multiplying food or extraordinary catches of fish or making prophetic statements about um, this, that, or the other. The miracles that he, he performed um, often were a prophetic statement about the restoration of the whole of creation that was to come. You see, Jesus was making a statement all the time about the future, about what the kingdom would look like. And then what about deliverance? Let's take the story of Legion. I'm sure we're familiar with the story of Legion, a man who didn't just have one demonic influence in his life, but a whole legion of them. Now, three things about Legion. The first thing is that he was actually living on Gentile soil. He wasn't on Jewish soil. He was on Gentile soil, and Jesus had to cross over the lake to get to him. Secondly, he was living amongst the tombs, amongst the dead. And thirdly, he was living also amongst a herd of pigs. Three things that signify complete uncleanness to the Jews. So he was therefore a prime target for Jesus exactly where Jesus wanted to be, because he wanted to make what? A prophetic statement. He didn't just do good things, but he, said he made a statement about the kingdom in everything he did. So Jesus goes to Legion, and he frees him from the demonic influence in his life in a supernatural way. Uh, and there's a multitude of prophetic statements in that. First of all, First of all, um, he's healing a Gentile. So he's making a statement that, you know what? This kingdom isn't just for you Jews. 
This is for everybody. This is for all people. And secondly, he's showing that he is the ultimate power and that his kingdom will come because he is at war with Satan himself and all his demonic forces and he will be the victor. If he can deliver a demon or a legion of demons from, from this one man, he can do anything. So this, this ministry of Jesus was a prophetic and powerful ministry and it was all about seeing the kingdom of God come. So as Jesus walks along the road with these disciples, he helps, helps them to look back in order to reinterpret Old Testament prophecy so that then they can reassess their current context in the light of what Jesus has done. They can then reinterpret Jesus and see that actually he is this Messiah. He is this Redeemer because the battle isn't against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. And then they can begin to understand his prophetic, prophetic ministry in light of that and look forward to see what is yet to come. And that's the question for us, isn't it? What is yet to come? What does all this mean for us? Are we to be a prophetic people? Let's just step back for a minute and uh, illustrate this, this a little bit. We have Jesus arriving on the scene. And he arrives uh, into the beginning of his ministry. And he's just living in a world that's black and white. There's no color. It's depressed. It's dark. It's ruled by the kingdom of dark. It's fulfilled with the kingdom of darkness. And little by little, he comes along and uh, he fills it with color. He puts a splash here when he heals someone and suddenly the kingdom comes. He uh, performs a selfless act uh, in the name of his father over here by turning the other cheek. And splash, a little bit of color comes over here. Uh, he, he delivers a demon over here and splash, a little bit of color comes. And suddenly this big panoramic picture of black and white begins to get splashes of color everywhere. Just little bits, that's all it is, little bits. But that's one man, it's, but it's God. And he's doing it all over the place. And then he goes on to say, as we'll look at now, that he wants us to continue to do the same thing. I want to, uh, if we can just move on again, want to look... Um, at what Jesus left us with, um, if we can. I'm going to turn around to read this because I haven't actually... Oh, I can use my Bible. <laughs> so if, if we're looking at Acts 1, 1 to 8. It's always handy to have a Bible, isn't it? Especially when you're preaching. So we're moving on to look at what this means for us in the context of Acts uh, one, one to eight, and what Jesus said to us, not at the beginning of his ministry, but at the end of his ministry. So let's just read these verses. It says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about what? About the kingdom of God. So his whole life was about the kingdom of God. He died, rose again, and he was still on about it when he came back and spent 40 days with them. This is what Jesus was all about, the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or days the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in verse 3, he's still talking about the kingdom of God. In verses 6 to 7, the the disciples want to know when he's going to redeem, when he's going to fully restore the kingdom that he's been talking about. And he says, the time isn't for you to know about that. And it lets us into a little bit of a clue as to what's to come. Because he's basically saying that he's risen from the dead. Satan has been defeated. That's here. And over here, there's a day coming where he's going to return and he's going to bring all things to a consummation. And kingdom of heaven will fully come on earth. But we live in a time between the times. And we don't know when that date will be. But he says then, in verse 8, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can continue this prophetic ministry. You are going to get a paintbrush. Okay? And the painting I've started, which will be completed here, I want you to do as much painting as you possibly can between now and then. I want to see as much color on this, this, this landscape as, as you can manage before I return. And there's got to be certain things done. And that's the picture that he's painting. So Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to equip us to continue then being a prophetic people ourselves. How does this work then, we ask? Well, Jesus' as model of a prophet, a prophet mighty in words and deeds is still a model that applies to us today. Two examples, if we can move on again here. Um, first of all, we see Jesus doing it. I think we've established that. Jesus was a prophet mighty in word and deed. Uh, but then, after a little bit of training, he actually sent out the 12 disciples in Luke 9, verses 1 to 6. And it says this, it says, When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And, to, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. To preach the kingdom of God, word, and to heal the sick, deed. In other words, he was saying, you're a prophetic people. Go and do it. Go on, get on with some painting. Now, that's all very well and good. You can say, well, Jesus did it. Yes, he, well, he was God. Uh, and the disciples did it. Well, they're the, they're the anointed ones who were with him, so that's okay. But it goes on. If we go on to the next slide again, we see a little bit later in Luke, in fact, it's just the next chapter, uh, uh, through, ver- through verses 1 to 17, Jesus then sends out the 72 And what does he say to them? Well, in verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Verse 8, when you enter a town, he said to them, and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Heal the sick and tell them about the kingdom. Word and deeds. It's the same message. Then in verse 17, it tells us that they went out and they came back and the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So it's the 72 as well. Well, they were more like the normal people. Well, I, can't, I don't really want to associate myself with the 12, but I'm beginning to get a bit more comfortable associating myself with the rest of the normal people. And it goes on, doesn't it? Jesus actually says that he came and gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could go up beyond him beyond him. In other words, he calls us to be a prophetic people. In the uh, Bible as a whole, particularly in the Old Testament, we see um, three key roles. Prophet, priest, and king. Yeah, Prophet, priest, and king. Um, 
And those things are evolve a bit by the time we get to the New Testament. Now, if you go to Derby County on a Sunday, you'll probably hear the, up, the, uh, the fans when Derby are playing badly, which is regularly, um, shouting, who are you? Who are you? At the, t- at the team. And the fans, the people, will usually respond, we are Derby, we are Derby, super Derby, something like that. Super Rams, see, I'm not a Derby fan. I'm a, well, no, I'm not, you can't really call me a football fan because my team's just been relegated to the football conference, Darlington. But there you go. Um, no, yeah. uh, you see, the point is, <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> the point is that, that, that we are the people of God. The people that, that Jesus came for uh, were the people he was walking with in in. Um, in those days, but actually it was about all people who would follow him, the people of God. And we return a chant, don't we, when people say to us, who are we? We say, we're a kingdom people, we're the people of God. We're a people on a mission together. Um, And when the Old Testament talks about priests, the New Testament talks about a priesthood of all believers, doesn't it? It talks in 1 Peter about a priesthood of all believers. In other words, there isn't this clergy-laity gap that we imagine, but we're all called and equipped to be priests. That's our role. And in the same way, we're all called and equipped to carry a prophetic message. And it's a missional message. Then that message is simply this. It's a message that the world needs to hear. And it's that... Jesus is good news, and the kingdom of God is here. It's about getting our paintbrushes out, because the kingdom of God is within you. So my first point when I'm starting to sum up what being a prophetic people is all about is this. We carry a prophetic message. Not all our prophets, but all carry a prophetic message. We all carry something about the kingdom. We know the beginning from the end, don't we? We know what happens, and we know how we get there. So we carry a prophetic message, and with it, we carry a responsibility. The kingdom of God is within you. The Holy Spirit has anointed you. You know the truth. And this is a world that needs to know the truth. We're surrounded by people living in brokenness, in loneliness, in debt, filled with guilt, sickness, emptiness, people searching for something. And most don't know what they're looking for because they're lost. They're looking for their answers in the wrong places, money, sex, and power. But we have the answer because we're a prophetic people. We have the answer. And we have the opportunity to consume the world with color by getting our paintbrushes out. (coughs) Secondly, we are all powerful in word and deed. We're all powerful in word and deed. Jesus gave us, as we just said, the Holy Spirit, that we'd go beyond him. I want to tell you a story briefly about my uh, trip I had to Uganda last year. It was an incredible time. Um, and while, we, while I was out in Uganda doing various different things, um, I had a team with me. And we had the opportunity to get involved with a medical outreach. Now, this wasn't really what we were there for, but we were given the opportunity to get involved in it. It was an incredible scene of 1,000 of the poorest of the poor coming and receiving free medical treatment over the course of two days. Um, Really, really wonderful thing. People receiving something of the kingdom indeed, actually, in a very practical sense. Um, but while, while, whilst that was happening, um, the pastor said to me, would you like to pray for some people? And I said, I'd love to. Um, so the next thing I knew, he was up on the, st- on, the, on the stage with a microphone saying, the pastor is here. 
and would like to pray with you. Uh, oh, no. Um, so I was ushered off to this curtained-off area, and I looked out, and there was a queue of people a mile long wanting to be prayed with me uh, because I was a pastor, and I was white, and they put you on a pedestal, um, which actually, if that raises their faith, it does, have, it does bring something good with it. So I had a couple of young guys with me who'd never been in that kind of setting before. And for three hours that day and three hours the next day, we just laid hands on these people and we saw incredible manifestations of the demonic and all sorts. But people released and set free in incredible ways. Uh, it was exhausting uh, for, for, uh, for two days. We saw healings and all sorts over those two days. Now, we come back and preachers then put those sort of things into their messages as stories like I've just done um, because we're excited to see those things happen. Um, but the truth is, that should be the normal Christian life. That's what Jesus did. That's what the 12 did. And that's what the 72 did. They returned saying, even the demons respond to us in your name. That should be the Christian life. And somehow, I think, some way, somewhere along the line, we settle for something less as the people of God. And I really believe that God wants to stir something up this morning to challenge us as a people to say, do we want to settle for something less? Or as this church grows, and as we become a people who influence this city, do we want to be a prophetic people who are powerful in word and deed? Do we want to go out with a little paintbrush and do a little bit of painting? Or do we want to get a roller out? And do we want to see transformation come by expecting the Holy Spirit to not just sit within us, but to burst out of us. I believe today that God wants to encourage you as a people to step out in faith. And perhaps he wants to equip some people today um, as we pray later on. Um, you know, it's in us. The Holy Spirit's there. It's in us. And as we step out, incredible things happen. As we call heaven down to earth, incredible things happen. Maybe it's just a case for sometimes for just stepping out and praying for someone. I was really encouraged to hear you saying before that you're doing something about treasure hunting. I know all about treasure hunting. That's great news. That's about getting out on the street and prophesying, but actually looking for an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God to earth with people. Perhaps it's simply about using words and sharing your testimony with somebody. You know, it says in Revelation that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, when we tell somebody about something that Jesus has done in our lives, it releases faith that somehow that can connect and can happen again in their life. Okay? It draws the kingdom down. And my final point is simply this, that we are uh, prophetic missionaries, if you like. It's all very well being prophetic in this setting. We can have a really good knees up. We can really feel blessed by God, and we all want that, and that's a good thing. But actually, this is all about getting outside the walls of the house or the cinema or whatever you want to call it. This is about getting out there where real people are. You know, it's, all, it's, it's great in here, but actually this place is already full of color because your lives are filled with God. You're filled with the Spirit. But there's a world out there just a few paces away Needing that, needing that touch from God, needing to see heaven come to earth in their situations. And it can happen in all kinds of ways. We've got uh, Joe and Hannah here, lead a group uh, from our church that are working into an estate in Alveston. And they've simply been doing um, random acts of kindness. They've actually done an incredible amount of good by touching people's lives and really building relationships in that, in that area. You know, those random acts of kindness are not what people expect. So they draw heaven down and it transforms it transforms 
people's lives. People call Joe up and say, are you going to be around? You know, we missed you. We, we, what you're doing is being good. And it opens up an opportunity for them to pray for people and to see heaven come. This stuff isn't rocket science. Seeing God move in power is part of the everyday Christian lifestyle that we should come to expect. And I hope that we aren't going to be a people who settle for less. Why don't we stand together and we'll pray. It's going to give us a moment. I don't know whether Graham wants to strum or something. It's just what we do. I don't know whether it's what you do. I just want us to take a moment to, uh, by the way, we get to a point where you need to go and get your kids. It's 11.44. feel free. But if somehow something has um, challenged you this morning or whether uh, if God's stirred something up in you this morning, I just want to encourage you just to spend a moment before we pray uh, just to um, respond to God in some way. And if after the meeting you would like myself or Joe and Hannah or any of your ministry team here to come and to pray with you, I believe God wants to release some faith to people this morning. I believe he wants to release some gifting to people this morning. Uh, Something new that you haven't experienced before. And some confidence as well. So let's just take a moment and then we'll pray. And then we'll leave it with these guys. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you came and you saved us. You gave your life as a sacrifice. Uh, Lord, but you didn't just simply do that. You equipped us, Lord, to have the privilege of, of joining you in the mission to see the world transformed. And I want to pray today that you would encourage us, uh, Lord, that you'd stir something up in us, Lord God, to be a people who expect to see you move in power, Lord God. A people who look at the world with a kingdom mindset. That see, Lord, where, where things are in black and white. <coughs> and where things are in desperate need of a touch of color. And would you stir us up, Lord God, to be a people of courage. Lord, I pray that you would bestow courage upon this church today. That you would raise a spirit of courage in this people today, Lord God. That somehow your spirit would be stirred. That this would be a people who go out from this place, Lord God, with rollers in both hands, Lord. Looking for an opportunity to bring a word in the right place. A prophetic word in the right place. A word of encouragement in the right place. To perform a simple act of kindness in the right place. And Lord, to bring a demonstration of your power in the right place. I pray that this will be a people who regularly see your healing on the streets and in the workplace. That regularly see, uh, Lord God, breakthrough in the lives of people around them, Lord God. Uh, in, in, In schools, in university, wherever they are, Lord God. That this would be a people stirred up to see your kingdom come and your will be done today, Lord. Today. Today, Lord, as it is in heaven. 
And Lord, that something would shift and change, Lord God. Lord, I pray, I thank you that this church is engaging in treasure hunting. Lord, would you stir up many people uh, in this church to be a people who will go out and look for the prophetic word for the individual, Lord. Um, and then bring something heaven into that situation as well, supernaturally, that lives can be transformed. We want to see this place filled with your spirit. We want to see this place filled with people who coming to know you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, would you come, would you work, I pray. Jesus name. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.